Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21, we'll be reading the first 21 verses. Last week we looked at the last part of the, the chapter, chapter 20 and the last part of chapter 21. But this week we'll look at verses 1 through 21 of chapter 21, following your Bibles as I read. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham's son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And he said, and she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, uh, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. And wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this, bo cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, uh, and because of the bondman, bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed." And Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, uh, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and set, set her down over against, uh, over against him a good way off as it were a bowshot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What ailest thou, uh, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad whence he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water, and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife out of the land of Egypt. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you today for the fact that you are a faithful God and that you keep your promises. We see that this morning in the passage, and help us, Lord, as we Look at the passage together. May we glean from it what you want us to know. And may te teach us lessons, Lord, that are beneficial in our walk with you. We know that all of us need to remind, be reminded that you are faithful and that you will fulfill all the promises that you've given us. And Lord, I thank you that as believers we have very good promises. But as an unbeliever, if there's anyone here who has not trusted Jesus, the promises to them are not good. And I pray that they will understand that today. Give enablement to bring the message. 
Bring glory to yourself, and may that soul without Jesus come to know you today. We pray in his name. Amen. One of the worst things you can do to a child is to promise them something and then not follow through with your promise. I'm sure every parent has been guilty of that to some degree, but the seriousness of the effect upon a child is dependent upon how often that happens. We all forget a promise, and we all have realized later after we've made a promise that we're not able to fulfill that promise. But a good parent, if he says to the child, I'm sorry, and explains, then the child will usually forgive the parent and will not hold it against them. But if there's a pattern of multiple unfulfilled promises, the effect upon the child can be devastating. If you are a child of God, the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, then God the Father is your Father, and you have this guarantee that He will always keep His promises. God will never break His promises. He is not limited in His strength. He's not limited in His abilities. He's not limited in His resources. And because He is truth and cannot lie, He always keeps His word, and He will fulfill every promise that He has given us. Numbers chapter 23 says it like this in verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? 1 Samuel 15 verse 29 says, The strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. Ezekiel 24 verse 14 says, I the Lord have spoken it, it shall come to pass, and I will do it. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Titus 1, 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie hath promised. And then that familiar verse in Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 22 and 3, says, his compassions fail not, they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. Therefore, God's children, truly saved people, are never hurt, by God's failure to keep his promises because he always keeps his promises. He never goes back on his word. No, we are hurt because we fail to believe him, we fail to trust him, we fail to wait on him, and we fail to obey obey him. The hurt comes from our fault, not from God's fault. In our passage this morning, we find that there are seven people or seven individuals mentioned. I want to go through those, and you'll see, you see them in the passage. First of all, the Lord is mentioned. Then Sarah, then Abraham, and then Isaac, and then the son of Hagar. In this passage, it doesn't miss, mention his name, but it's Ishmael. And then Hagar herself, and then at the last, it mentions the wife that Hagar got for uh, Ishmael from Egypt. So those seven people. Abraham's walk with God started when he was in Ur of the Chaldees, according to Acts chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. God called him to leave Ur and go to Canaan. He probably married, was married to Sarah at that time, and they went to Haran accompanied by, by Abraham's father. After his father died, they left Haran, and it was Sarah and Abraham and Lot, his nephew, who traveled to Canaan. He was 75 years old when he left Haran, and he left with the promise of God, the promises that God had given him. We find those promises in chapter 12. If you'll look back with me in Genesis chapter 12, I'd like to read those. So you think in your mind now, Abraham's leaving uh, 
the land where he grew up, and he leaves with these promises. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord God had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, I'll make thy name great, thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So those are promises from God. And Abraham leaves the land of Ur with those promises. As he journeyed in life, his life became more complicated. Why did it come, become more complicated? Because, just like happens to us, our life becomes more complicated because more people are added to it. You know, my wife and I, when we got married, it was Evelyn and I. But then, after a few years, it was Evelyn and I and Joseph, Jason, John, Jenny, Jared, and Joy. And then a few more years, it was Evelyn and I and uh, all the kids' spouses. And then after so many years, now it's been Evelyn and I and all the kids and the kids and their spouses and 20 grandchildren. <laughs> and it won't be long, they'll be added to that. Life becomes more complicated as we go because people are added uh, to our life. And uh, we think of Abraham. It was Abraham and Sarah. Then it was Abraham and Sarah and Lot. And then it was Abraham, Sarah, Lot, and Hagar. Then it was Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, and Lot had left. Then it was Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael. And then to Ishmael was added Isaac. And then Isaac and Hagar, rather Ishmael and Hagar left. And it was back to uh, Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. And then it was Abraham, Sarah, and uh, Abraham and Isaac because Sarah died. Now it's down to Abraham and Isaac. But then it starts to multiply again. Then it's Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac's wife. And then it was later he married Keturah. Can you believe that? He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And then Sarah died and he got married again and had six children by her. <laughs> and then there were many grandchildren. And so he lived to be 175 years old. Now God did a work on Abraham because at 100 years old he was considered as good as dead. And God did a work on him and rejuvenated him and and he lived to be 175 and uh, fathered more children. And the Bible says that Isaac, his son, was 70 years old when Jacob and Esau were born. 70. Now, I, I wouldn't want that to happen. <laughs> but he was 70 years old when uh, Jacob and Esau was born. That means he, he was, uh, Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. And then Isaac was 70 when these two boys were born. So Abraham lived to see those two sons, Jacob and Esau, for five more years. And so through all that, his life just became complicated and complicated. But the point is this. Regardless how long you live or how complicated your life becomes, the promises of God are still true. He will never fail because he is faithful. And we need to remember that. Now let's examine our passage this morning and find how God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. First of all, we see that God kept his promise about, about Sarah's conception. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 21. And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, and for Sarah conceived. The first thing God kept his promise was, he told Sarah she was going to conceive. Now, that was unbelievable. Giving birth, that's something. But the first thing you've got to do is conceive. And that's unbelievable because uh, she was not able to do that at this time. 
the Lord visited Sarah and she conceived. It was God who enabled her to conceive. He rejuvenated, he rejuvenated her body uh, so that she would be able to see, conceive because before that she was not able. The Bible says in chapter 18, verse 11, it ceased to be with Sarah as, as the manner of woman is, as, as is the manner of women. Now, you all know what that means, so we don't have to explain it. Chapter 17, verse 16 says, I will bless her and give thee a son. So who made Sarah conceive? Well, God did. God made it so that she could, could do that. Now, Abraham was involved too, but God had to do something special for Abraham because Abraham, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12, was as good as dead. Now, in other words, he couldn't father a child. He was as good as dead. And chapter 18, verse 11, it says he was old and well stricken in years. And so God kept his promise and, and, and uh, Sarah conceived because God promised that she would. Also, there's another promise that God kept, and that is God kept his promise that Sarah would give birth to Isaac. Conceiving is one thing, giving birth after nine months, that's something else. And God says that will happen, and it did. Chapter 17, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. Chapter 18, verse 10, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And uh, Sarah, when she heard that, remember she was inside the tent, she heard it, and she laughed. And the angel responded to, to Sarah and said, why did Sarah laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. She, yes, you did. And then he said this, is anything too hard for the Lord? God made a promise. Is anything too hard for him? He can fulfill that promise. And so it tells us in this chapter that she bare Abram a son. That was a promise that God had kept. And God kept his promise about the birth of Isaac. The third thing is God kept his promise concerning the time of Isaac's birth. You see, God has a timetable, and God has uh, a time he's going to do certain things. God's never late. He's always on time. And so the Bible says in verse 2, at the set time of which God had spoken to him, God kept a promise. He said it's going to happen at this time, and it did. Chapter 18 at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Chapter 17 says, verse 21, said it like this, at the set time in the next year. So God already knew when he was going to do it, and God said it's going to happen then, and guess what? It happened exactly when God said it would happen. And so God had predicted that, and he kept his promise, and God's always on time. He's never late. And the, when we think it's things are being delayed, it's not because God is uh, not able, it's because God is waiting for the right time. And so we need to remember that. God keeps his promise. Now, when God kept that promise, there we note here the proper response. When God keeps his promise in your life, here's a proper response. Look at verse 4. The first response is this. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. First response is obey. You know, God keeps his promise. Well, what are you supposed to do after that? You obey. You do what God wants you to do. Keep on doing what God wants you to do. God kept his promise. Well, then obey and do what the Lord wants you to do. The second response is found in verse 6. And it says, Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. That response is give God the credit for what happened. <laughs> give God the credit. 
how often things happen in our life and we, we say, whoa, I'm glad that happened, but we don't give God the credit. We need to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that this didn't happen. Thank you, Lord, that I didn't fall when I almost fell. Thank you, Lord, that when I fell, I didn't break anything. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Our life should be thank you, Lord, because God uh, keeps his promises. And so she obeyed. He, they obeyed the Lord, and then they gave God the credit. God hath made me to laugh. God did this. And then third response is give God the praise. Thanking, giving the credit's one thing, but giving the praise, it's seen in verse 7. Notice what verse 7 says. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? She's saying this. Praise God. That's amazing what God has done. I know they give him the credit, but I praise him. I mean, it's amazing. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that I, at 90 years old, would give suck to a child? Who would have thought? And so she praises the Lord. Now, as we go on, we find another uh, promise that's kept. That is, God kept his promise that the covenant would be established with Isaac. Look at verse 8. And the child grew grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a a great feast and and the same day that Isaac was weaned. Abraham celebrated the weaning of Isaac. Now, the customs of that day, they tell us that a child was weaned somewhere around two or three years old. Now, that's probably a little longer than we do today, but uh, that back in those customs, that's what they did. The child was weaned at two or three years old. Since Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born, that means at this time, when this happens, when this feast takes place, place Ishmael is not a little boy. Ishmael is 16 or 17 years old. And so you can see uh, that uh, this is a, a teenager, an older teenager, uh, mocking. And Ishmael mocked Isaac. Verse 9 says that, uh, he was, that Sarah saw him mocking. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Hebrew scholars tell us that the word mocking comes from the same root as the word Isaac which means laugh. But it's in the form which it's, it's not that type of laughter. It's a laughter of ridicule. It's a laughter of, uh, of, a, of a child, of son like Ishmael. It's his laughter of making fun of Isaac and uh, uh, ridiculing him, disrespecting him, making light of him. Well, why would he do that? When you think about it, Ishmael has been the child. He's been the only son. Until two or three years before this, he was the only one. And then comes along this baby, and everybody's so excited about that baby. Now, have you ever seen children get a, get a little jealous over a baby? <laughs> well, sure they do. Well, Ishmael, though, he's been the only one for a long time. And now he has a rival. And not only that, they're making a lot to do about this child, and he's probably heard all the talk, and he has already figured it out. This child is going to take, he's going to be the heir, and I'm going to be left out. Up to this time, maybe he thought, or before the child was born, maybe he thought that uh, all, of, all of Abraham's wealth, and he was a wealthy man, is going to go to me. But now it's not going to. It's going to Isaac instead. And so he mocks, and as a teenager would do, he just makes fun of Isaac. Abraham was upset when Sarah 
suggested what to do because Sarah said, take this bondwoman and get her out of here and take her son and get him out of here. He's not to be raised with my son. And so Abraham was upset, probably because he loved Ishmael. I mean, Ishmael was his only son, had been for like 15 years or so. And uh, so he was his only son up to that point. And so he loved him. I mean, he probably did things with him, and, and uh, he was his son. He loved him. And he had an affection for Hagar as well, and that was the mother of this son. And so Abraham was grieved. But God took the part of Sarah, and he said to Abraham, Abraham, don't you be grieved because this is necessary. And that is, Isaac, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And Isaac is going to be the heir. And so uh, Ishmael needs to get out and Hagar needs to get out because God had promised the covenant with relationship would pass on to Isaac and not to Ishmael. Chapter 17, God's keeping his promise about that because chapter 17, verse 19 says, I will establish my covenant with him. And he's referring to Isaac. For an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So God keeps his promise about the covenant and who's it's going to pass on to. It's passing on to Isaac and not to Ishmael. Now, God kept his promise in another way, and that is to make Ishmael a great nation. You see these promises being kept in this passage. The last one is God promised that Ishmael would become a great nation. It begins in verse 13 as we look at this. God had promised to make Israel, Ishmael a great nation. It says in, in uh, verses 13 and also verse 18. And that, that fulfills the promise that God had given back in chapter 16. You remember when Hagar had left one other time because Sarah was mean to her. And after she had the child, Sarah changed her mind, and she was upset, and Sarah uh, was mean to her, and Hagar just left. She couldn't take it any longer. And the Lord said to Hagar, now you go back. But in that time, he said this to Hagar in chapter 16, verse 10, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. He's talking about Hagar and her child. And then in chapter 17, verse 20, he also said this, and as for Ishmael, I have heard thee, he's talking to Abraham because the Lord said, remember Ishmael. He said, I have heard you about Ishmael. And he said this, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation. God's promised that. And so even if Ishmael has to leave, even if Hagar has to leave, God says, I made a promise to this young man and I will fulfill that promise, and that is, I will make him a great nation. Well, Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael away with bread and water. Now, it says a bottle of water, that's probably a skin that they filled with water. And so she has this skin of water, and she has bread, and she leaves. That's all the provision they have. Well, in a time, after a time, those provisions ran out, and there was no more bread, and there was no more water. And you can sort of imagine, somebody suggested this, I think it's probably true, that Ishmael loved his mom. And uh, they got down low on water, and Ishmael, there wasn't much left, and he probably gave it to his mom rather than him take it. And so he's the first one that seems to fall. And so uh, 
Hagar takes her son. He's in a very weakened condition. He takes him over to a shrub and lays him down under that shrub, and then she can't stand to watch him die because he's so weak right now. So she leaves, and she goes, it says, a bow shot away. So I'm not sure just how many yards that would be, but uh, a bow shot away. And so she leaves, and, and she starts crying. She can't bear to see her son die. And then the Lord spoke to Hagar. And he says, Hagar, I have heard the lad. I have heard the child crying as well. And uh, I want to remind you that I have a plan for that child. In other words, he's saying to, to, to Hagar, Hagar, you didn't need to despair because you remember, I promised. Now, does that remind us sometimes of when we go through troubles and we're in despair and we're about to give up and how in the world can this work out together for good? And God says, now, wait a minute, I remind you, I promised you. And so God reminds Hagar that he had promised. And uh, so she's weeping, but God talks to her and says, I will make him a great nation. And then the Bible says in verse 19, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Now, some think that maybe God just made that well of water. I doubt that's true. I believe it was probably there all along. But, God, but she couldn't see it. And uh, I don't know why she didn't see it, but she was in distress and she was crying and everything. And there was supply right close by, but she didn't know it. And God opened her eyes and she saw the well. And it reminds us of us, you know, that uh, sometimes we get so dis- much despair and we cry out to God and God reveals to us, look, you don't need to worry. <laughs> There's supply. I'll give you the supply you need. It's, all, it's already there and the Lord will provide for us. And so he gave her this, water, this well of water and she got something to drink and gave her son to drink and he, he survived. Well, he had to survive. God had promised he'd survive. And so he survived, and the Bible says he became an archer. And uh, not only became an archer, uh, Hagar got him a wife from Egypt. Well, why would he, she get him a wife from Egypt? Because that's where she was from. And they were heading in that direction, and so she gave, gave him a wife from Egypt, and so he got married. And uh, so that's the end of the account of what happened. So in these verses, we see that God keeps his promises. Regardless of men's failures, regardless of their doubts and their unbelief, regardless of the obstacles, even when things seem impossible, God keeps his promises. And so it is for us today. God does also keep his promises. God keeps his promises to believers. And we have many of them in the scripture. We belong to him. We're his child and he's our father. He promises us, and God is not like us. He always keeps his promises. We all have failed in some way or another to keep our promises. And sometimes we weren't able to keep our promises, but God's never limited in that way. He's always able, and God will keep his promises. So we don't need to fear. We're in his arms, and we're safe, and we don't need to fear because God keeps his promises. Now let's talk about some of the promises that God has given us. So what are some of the promises that God has given us? Well, first of all, he promised to save those who trust in him. And I imagine most of you today could say, 
I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I can remember the day I got saved. And you could tell me about your experience. When you trust, put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never forget that day. I remember it vividly what happened. And I've told you many times. But uh, when he saved me, he redeemed me. The Bible says he redeemed me. And uh, he redeemed me by his precious blood. He shed on the cross of Calvary. And when I trusted him, he redeemed my soul. Redeem means to, to, release, to release by the payment of a price. And that is, he releases us from the bondage and penalty of sin by the payment of the price, and that price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So he redeemed me. Along with that, he forgave me. The Bible says that he forgave us in Colossians 1.4. Redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. And so he forgives us. That means he'll never hold the sin against us again. God's forgetfulness is that way. God's not absent-minded. God doesn't say, I don't remember what you did. No, God knows what we did. But God does not remember it against us, and that's his forgetfulness. He doesn't remember it against us, and so he forgives us. And then he adopted us into his family. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 8, that we've been adopted. And since we've been adopted, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're children of God. And so we're put in his family. So God saved us. Joshua and I have sang a song before. And it's a song that I remember because there was a deacon in our church in West Virginia that sang it with his guitar. His name was Wheeler Toothman. And Wheeler would sing that song. He said he'd save me, and he did. <laughs> New life he'd give me, and he did. And that's true. You know, the Lord said he'd save us, and he did. That's, he kept his promise. So we're saved because God kept his promise. God says, if you'll trust me as your Savior, I'll save you. And so the Lord saved us. He rescued us. He promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And he won't because he promised. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And so God says he will never leave us nor forsake us. We need to remember that. God keeps his promise. God also promised to provide all that we need. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Sometimes things get to where we're uh, you know, lacking, we think, in supply, and we're in a rough place. But the Lord says this, I will provide your needs. Not all your wants, but I will provide your needs. And so God gives us our needs. He's also promised to give me strength for all things in my life. Whatever I face, he'll give me strength to face that. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God will with the temptation also provide a way of, of escape that you may be able to bear it. With the temptation, God will make a way of escape. So God will provide what we need. He will give us everything we need, and he'll give us the strength to face the temptations of life. Temptations can mean just trials. And so the trials of life, God will give us the strength that we need to face it because he's promised. There's another promise God has given us, and that is God has promised angel protection. Did you know that? Angel protection. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says it like this. The angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister unto those who shall be heirs of salvation. 
That was talking about the future, those that shall be heirs. I am one of those. You're one of those if you trusted Jesus. We're heirs of salvation. Guess what? The Lord has given us ministering spirits, angels, to help us. And we don't see them, but we have at least an angel, a guardian angel, and God has provided that for us. He's promised to. And we know it's true because he promised that he would. There's another promise God gave, and that is he promised to give victory over the devil. Sometimes the devil can seem like a, a daunting foe, and it seems like we can't, uh, we can't overcome him. But the Lord says, that's not true, you can. And James chapter 4 says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. He'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So the Lord has promised that we can have victory over the devil. He's also promised that he will that to always be for us and to work all things together for our good. We know that from Romans 8, 28. And um, we know that um, he'll work all things together for good. But we sometimes don't realize that passage talks more than just working things together. The Lord says, those he's justified, he'll also glorify. And so that means God's going to work everything together so that it turns out right, and the end result is we're going to have a brand new body and a brand new home. He's going to glorify us, and the Lord has promised that. I'll work all things together for good to those that love me. And then he says this in verse 31 of that passage, if God be for us, who can be against us? So you have that promise. God's for you, and God promised that. God also promises something else, and that is direction for our life. Tonight, the kids will go through a maze that we're going to construct this afternoon. And uh, the maze is going to have some dead ends and things like that, but there will be a way to get out. The Lord knows the maze of our life. He knows all about it. And he knows the way out. And he knows, as used to, we sang in youth group when, uh, many, many years ago, uh, the Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow <laughs> And so the Lord does know the way. He knows the maze. And so the Lord has promised to give us direction. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And here's the promise. And he shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord and he will direct your paths. God's promised that. So God's given us that promise. He's also promised access to God in prayer and answered prayer. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us come boldly under the throne of grace. You don't come before the throne of grace sheepishly. You can come boldly. doesn't matter where you are. You can just approach the throne of grace. You can say, Lord, and you have audience with the Lord. He hears you. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12 says it like this. We have boldness and access with confidence by faith in him. Boldness with access with, with, access with confidence uh, with him. Act, uh, James chapter 4, verse 2. Ye have not because you ask not. So there's a promise. We have the promise that God will answer our prayers and we have the promise that we can talk to him at any time, and he will hear. And then there's another promise, and that is he promised us a brand new body. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. This corruptible is going to put an incorruption. 
this mortal, mortal means it'll die, is going to put on incorruption, that we're going to have a body that will not die. And uh, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The Lord promised that. He promised you're going to have a brand new body. Someone said this morning, I won't say who, but said they've been noticing more wrinkles lately. Well, all of us do that, don't you? I feel pretty young until I look in the mirror, and then I have to reevaluate things. And, uh, but I don't look as, I don't feel as old as I look. And, uh, but there's the evidence outwardly that we're getting there. And uh, so the Lord says, I, I give you a promise. I promise you it's going to end better than it is. In fact, it's going to end better than it ever was. The best is yet to come. You're going to have a brand new body. The Lord's promised that. Also, there's another promise. God's going to give us a brand new home that's prepared by Jesus. And John 14 says that, uh, let, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house where there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you and if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself that where I am, there you may be also. So we have a beautiful home waiting us, and it's prepared by Jesus. And so that's a promise. We can count on it because God keeps his word. So Christians take heart. God keeps his promises, and he's given us a lot of them. We don't need to fear. But then I like to close by saying this. God also keeps his promises to unbelievers. God keeps his promises to unbelievers. God promises, promises that there is no way whatsoever to heaven except by Jesus. And many unbelievers try to go another way. They try to go by being good. They try to go by joining an organization or joining a church or doing good deeds or doing whatever it is that they do to try to get to heaven, work their way to heaven. And the Lord says, it's all in vain. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a gift of God. And it's by grace through faith. You don't do anything, it's what you believe. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord said, there's one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is one way to heaven, only way, only one. God promises that to us, but he promised that to unbelievers. There is no other way. And then there's another promise to unbelievers, and that is unbelievers are condemned. They're condemned. John 3.18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So all unbelievers are condemned. They're not waiting for condemnation. They're already condemned. Now, God can change that condemnation, take it away if you trust Jesus as your Savior. But as it stands to now, if you're an unbeliever, if you've never trusted Jesus, uh, when you die, God doesn't say, oh, I'm going to take you to the judgment to decide where you're going to go. God doesn't do that. God says, you're already condemned, and death will just transport you to the place of condemnation, which is called hell. So unbelievers are condemned and unbelievers are guaranteed, promised that they will go to hell.
Revelation 20, verse 15 tells us that. I'd like to read you those verses. Revelation 20. Verse 15, that's the account where it says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the head of heavens fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the, the books, the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. So God opens the books to determine if their if the name is in there. And then he says this, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever, promise, whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. God's promise. God has promised that if you don't know Jesus, if you reject Jesus, you'll go to hell. Yes, God keeps his promises. The question is, do you want his promises to believers or do you want his promises to unbelievers? The choice is up to each of us. What are we going to do with Jesus? If you've never trusted Jesus, what you have to do it's come to the place where you agree with God and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I don't deserve heaven at all. I can't my work my way there. I am a lost sinner. But I believe that Jesus paid for my sin on the cross of Calvary. He paid it all. And he rose from the grave as proof of that. I believe he's alive and I believe he has promised to save me if I will believe in what he did for me. And Lord, today, I want you to know I believe in what Jesus did for me. And I put my faith and trust in him. I accept him as my savior. And if you'll do that, you can have God's promises to believers and not his promises to unbelievers. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for allowing us to see in the scripture examples of how you kept your promise. Lord, you always do. And I pray that we'd realize as Christians that you have given us so many promises that there's no reason for us to fear, there's no reason to us, for us to uh, doubt, there's no reason for us to be defeated because you've given us promises. And I pray that we'll avail ourselves of those and believe those and we'll go on in faith. But Lord, if there's one here today who's not trusted Jesus, help them all to also to remember that you made promises to them and you will keep them. And there's no way around it. And if they don't trust Jesus, they will be condemned, or they are condemned, and they will go to condemnation and hell. Lord, speak, in the, speak to their heart. Bring them to the Savior today. We pray in his name. Amen.